0: Good morning. morning. We're here this morning because uh, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that God sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him, because of the resurrection, might have eternal life. And because of the resurrection, we are people of hope, and hope changes everything, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the places that we find ourselves, we are people of hope because of the resurrection. Now, the resurrection sort of challenges people today. People say, how do we know? How can we believe the Bible? How can we know that the, the resurrection's not a myth, that it's, that it's really true? And it's interesting because for 2,000 years, people have tried to disprove the resurrection and, and still here we are. Uh, because no one has ever been able to disprove it. It, it continues uh, to baffle people who would try uh, and, yet, and we're here today because the resurrection is true. And, and one of the reasons that it's sort of interesting because all of this started before we had the Bible that we have today. You, you know, the first people that celebrated the resurrection didn't have the Bible to go to and, and look at the stories, but they had something that was more profound, something even more interesting. They had eyewitnesses. They had people who had first-hand accounts of Jesus rising from the grave and Jesus meeting with people. And, and so when those people, those eyewitnesses, had their encounter with the risen Christ, they did what everybody does today. They went to social media, right? <laughs> Only in the first century, social media was writing letters. And so this disciple Matthew, who was a former tax collector, he was there he saw the resurrected Jesus and, and he wrote a book about it and we have it in the New Testament called Matthew. And And then there was a doctor named Luke who's considered the great historian and, and he interviewed all of these eyewitnesses and he wrote his account and he wrote it specifically to reach out to Greek-speaking people and he told about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and then there was Mark who wrote a wrote a f- eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus and and he got most of his information from Peter who was there throughout all of it and, and then finally there was a man named John that he wrote uh, he wrote his firsthand account later on in his life he was becoming an old man and and I think he had this thought that you know what I better get this all down now while I still have a chance and and he wrote his firsthand account of the resurrection of Jesus. So we have these eyewitness accounts of Jesus. There's another really interesting character that, that wrote a book in the Bible, and his name is James, but it's not James the disciple, it's James the half-brother of Jesus. You know that before Christ was crucified and rose again, he was not a believer. He didn't buy any of it. In fact, they, they, they thought, the scripture said they thought Jesus was crazy And after the resurrection, he becomes one of the leaders in the church. After the resurrection, he's martyred for his belief in Jesus and in the resurrection because he knew that it was true. Uh, There's a, you know, Peter, I mentioned earlier, uh, he's an interesting character because he's an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus and, and later on, he's gonna tell that story about the resurrection of Christ And 3,000 people are gonna respond at one time as Peter tells his firsthand account of the resurrection of Jesus and the story begins to spread and people begin to understand that Christ rose from the grave, that he really was who he said he was, that the greatest event in the history of the world had taken place and there were people that actually saw it and and when we look at certain parts of scripture it says that, that more than 500 people saw Jesus at one time, that it wasn't a big mystery, it wasn't a secret. Christ rose from the grave. And then there's one other interesting character in history that I'd like to mention to you. We have a little picture of a bust of him up here. Nero is his name, and Nero was <coughs> the emperor of Rome about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. What's interesting about Nero is that uh, he's crazy. Probably, um, you know, murdered most of his family. He was uh, the he was the emperor of Rome for about 30 years, and during that time, he, uh, history says that, that he needed some more space, he needed some property to build his, uh, build his next palace, and so he started burning parts of Rome where he wanted the place, and Rome almost burned down, and people were starting to rebel, people were starting to talk about it, and, and Nero needed a scapegoat. Uh, he needed somebody else to blame to take the attention off of himself, and do you know who he picked? He picked Christians. Now this is interesting because 30 years after the resurrection, 30 years though, not time enough for us to have a Bible, that didn't come for centuries later, the whole Bible, but 30 years later, the the story of the resurrection was so profound and it had moved so fast that 1,500 miles from Jerusalem in Rome, there were thousands of followers of Jesus, thousands of Christians, and Nero decided to make them his scapegoat, and so they persecuted those Christians. You know, there are stories, of course we know the stories to the Colosseum that they brought him in and, and fed him to the lions and gladiators killed him. We know all of those things. But did you know that Nero took Christians and he put them on spikes and he put them in his gardens and lit them up at night so he could walk through his gardens and they were his lamps, his lanterns in his personal gardens. But you know what happened? Is that it, the Colosseum was no fun. Uh, the Colosseum didn't really do what Nero had hoped it would do because the Christians died so well. They, They didn't panic and they didn't blame, but they died singing and they died praying and they died believing that Christ had risen from the grave and their hope was based not on their circumstances but on the risen Christ. And it took all of the fun out of it. They started, they started, uh, they started to stop the whole idea of gladiators and lions and all of that because they couldn't bear to watch these people so joyful, so hopeful in the Colosseum. And so we believe that the resurrection is the greatest story ever, that it changed history, that it's the biggest thing that has ever happened. But we also believe that the story of the resurrection is one of the most beautiful and intimate and personal stories that we've ever had. And I want to share some of that with you this morning. Uh, we're gonna look at the resurrection story out of the Gospel of John, out of the eyewitness account of John the Apostle. And one of the things I love about John the Apostle is you read the Gospel of John, he never refers to himself by name. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that awesome? And, and this, it, it, it speaks of a transition in his life because he started as James and John, the sons of thunder, right? Uh, James and John, the wild children. Uh, James and John, you know, with their leather tunics and, and uh, their tats and all of their stuff and they're causing trouble, uh, the wild boys, and now he considers himself, because he's come so far in his life, he considers himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he tells this story about the resurrection of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the tomb had been taken away. Or the, I'm sorry, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went and got Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I like that, formerly known as John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, "They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him." So apparently Mary Magdalene, one of the women that was followers of Jesus, one of the women who were closest friends with Jesus, they went back to the tomb early Sunday morning just as the sun was coming up. Now there's some interesting theories about this, but you know, they, were, they took Jesus down from the cross and they quickly uh, prepared him for burial and they, they took him uh, to a tomb. And, and so some, some people just make the natural assumption that, that it was men that prepared Jesus originally, so the women came to do it right. And so a group of women come and the only one that is mentioned by name is Mary Magdalene. And it's, it's not unusual in the Gospels to have a group like that and to, and to have one person singled out to tell their particular story. And that's what John does in his Gospel. He gives us the story of Mary Magdalene. So she sees that the stone has been moved away from the tomb and she runs and tells the disciples who are in hiding that they have taken Jesus and we don't know where he is. Mary wasn't expecting to see the risen Jesus. That's not why she went to the tomb that day. She went to the tomb to finish the job of preparing him for burial, to finish the job of laying Jesus to rest. She got something that she never expected. So it says in verse three that, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together, classic guy talk now, And the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Seriously, who cares, right? But John wrote it, so he gets to tell that part of the story. I outran him to the tomb. Uh, And then it says, then Simon Simon Peter came following him. Oh, it said, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went in the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been lying on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So James, or I'm sorry, John and Peter get to the tomb. John stops at the entrance of the tomb, sort of peeks in. Peter, as he always does, sort of bursts into the tomb, and what he sees is the 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 cloak the the linen that Jesus had been wrapped in and then John wants us to have this little detail it's kind of interesting he says but the the headcloth that was wrapped on Jesus wasn't with the others but it was folded up neatly and and placed it in its own spot and, and and what John wants us to understand is that this isn't any uh, this isn't any random incident this isn't any incident where somebody came and and quietly and quickly stole Jesus body and got, tried to get out of there as fast as they can because if you're going to if you're going to do a deed like that you're not going to take time to fold up the face cloth and and put it in a nice neat spot but apparently Jesus did or the angels did because that's how they found it that day so Peter and John see the empty tomb and then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead and then the disciples went back to their homes. They weren't expecting a risen Christ either. You see, all of this is happening. Jesus talked about it. He said, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be crucified, but I'm gonna rise in three days, but they had no frame of reference for that. They didn't know what that, that meant. All they knew was that the Jesus that they had given everything up for, the Jesus that they had chosen to follow, the Jesus that they had believed in with all of their heart had been beaten and crucified and laid in a tomb, and it felt like the end to them. They were hiding. They were scared to death that maybe that the religious leaders and the Romans would decide to get them next, and so they're in hiding, they weren't expecting a risen Christ. That wasn't on their minds that day. And so after they looked into the tomb, they just went home. They left. But Mary, Mary didn't leave. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she stooped to look, uh, and and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Let's just stop for a quick sec here. Yeah, I find this sort of interesting that <laughs> Mary's weeping and, and the language, uh, the ancient language of this is that she's not, she's not just sort of silently crying into her hands, but it's, it's a picture of someone in great distress Someone in great sorrow who is pouring her heart out. She's crying as hard as she can. There, she can't see because there's so many tears that she is overcome in her grief. And there are two angels in the tomb, and I don't know why she didn't go there are angels or you know whatever, or you guys look different. you look whiter than you should, or anything. They just asked her, "Why are you here?" And, they, and she said they've taken my Lord and I don't know where he is and I am heartbroken. She still doesn't understand. She still doesn't get the idea of the, the resurrection. She's not expecting the resurrected Jesus. I think it's really interesting that the disciples, the guys that should have picked up on all of this, John and Peter, they went home. But Mary stayed And because Mary stayed, she was the first to see the resurrected Jesus. You know, Mary Magdalene, we don't know um, a lot about her, but she's center stage. One of the fascinating things is that if you were gonna write a myth, if you were gonna write a story that you wanted to perpetuate a myth uh, in the first century culture, you would have never used Mary Magdalene. Uh, She wasn't considered, Worthy, she wasn't considered, her testimony wouldn't be, have been considered worthy unless it was true. Uh, women weren't even allowed to testify in court in the first century. They didn't have that kind of social place or position back then. And yet, John tells us that it was Mary who first encountered the risen Christ. And if you were gonna make up a story, you just wouldn't do it that way and it gives great credibility that it just told it the way it happened. Mary stayed, and Mary still didn't understand. She thought somebody had taken Jesus. Jesus addresses her <coughs> in this passage. He says it this way. Uh, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, let me just stop there, that, that in English... This sounds sort of harsh, woman, uh, you know, you use that sort of derogatory way sometimes, but in the Greek, it's a very tender phrase. It's the same word that Jesus uses from the cross when he looks down and sees his mother and he tells John from now on, this is your mother. It's the same word that he uses when he calls her woman at the cross that that Jesus addresses Mary. It's a, it's a term of tenderness. So Jesus says to, to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. If you've stolen the body, if you've moved, moved him, just tell me and I'll take him. I'll take care of him. She loved Jesus so much It was such a big deal. She had come so far. You know, one of the gospels tells us that that Mary Magdalene had been delivered from seven demons at one point by Jesus. She owed Jesus her whole life. Everything changed the day that she met Jesus. And she was struggling so much. And now she sees the risen Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him. So tell me where you've taken him and I'll take him away. Verse 16 says this, and Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's not simple teacher, but it's the word in the Old Testament that's used uh, referring to God as our teacher. She says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, don't hold on to me, for I've not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The very first person to encounter the risen Jesus was Mary Magdalene. And it was such a personal encounter. One of the things that I love when I read through the Gospels in the New Testament is how it is, no matter how big the crowd is, and no matter how much chaos that there is, that, that Jesus still had the ability to give one person his complete attention. Think about all the stories in the Gospels and how there are crowds around and one person calls his name and he stops and he listens to their story and he heals them or he touches them. He does what needs to be done for them and he can focus on one person no matter what's happening and here's the beauty of it is that he can still do that today. I don't know how he does it. That's way above my pay grade. But I know that Jesus, in the middle of chaos of our world, in the middle of a crowded, lives of our world and middle of all that goes on, he can focus on you, he can listen to you, he can listen to me, and Mary experienced it that day. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is the biggest and most important event in history. And if Jesus rose from the grave, then everything that, that we learn in scripture, everything that we know in scripture about Jesus must be true. If the resurrection is true, then everything else is true. And so sometimes we like to take the Bible and we say really, I really like these parts of Jesus and I really like this part of the Bible, but not so much some of those other parts and and I really don't wanna hear some of that, but here's the problem that we have. If the resurrection is true, then all of it is true. And it's true for all of us. But when I wonder about parts of scripture, when I find something that maybe I I don't completely understand, I always start with, I know the resurrection is true, so I've got to deal with this. I've got to look at it. I've got to understand what is it that God wants me to know about him. How do I understand it? Because if the resurrection is true, then all of the rest of that is true. And we are people of hope this morning because the resurrection is true. And I would like to just simply share with you three words of hope because of the resurrection. Jesus promised us three things in one passage, and because of the resurrection, they're true. And so let me share with you those three things, there's a place in John 14 and Jesus is telling his disciples that that I'm he is, that he is going to be crucified, that he's going away and his disciples are struggling with this whole idea. What does all of this mean? Because we thought that you were gonna come and, and become a king and that you were gonna kick out the Romans and you were gonna set up your own kingdom and we were gonna be the in charge, we were gonna be governors and generals and vice presidents and all of those things and you were gonna do all that. And now you're telling us that, that you're going to be betrayed and beaten and crucified we don't get it and in John 14 Jesus says this he says let not your hearts be troubled let not your hearts be troubled you believe in the father believe also in me and then the first promise he says is that he says I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also that Jesus says that life doesn't end here, that this isn't the end, that when we die, we don't cease to exist. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be with me forever. And that we know that that is true because of the resurrection, not because I know how that works, not because we can figure it all out, but we know because of the resurrection that if Jesus said it, he always keeps his promises and we know that that's true, that he goes to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. In that same chapter, Jesus says something else, really profound. He says that I am going, but I am going to send you a helper. You could translate that comforter, but it refers to somebody who comes alongside. Jesus said that I'm going to ascend to the Father, but I'm going to send my spirit to come alongside you. I'm going to to send my spirit to live in you, to transform you from the inside out, to give you strength, to give you comfort, to give you all of those things, to change who you are from the inside out and make you a new creation. And if the resurrection is true, then that's true true he goes to prepare a place that where he is we may be also and then he promises in the meantime I'm going to send you a helper I'm going to send the spirit of the resurrected Jesus to live in you to transform you from the inside out that's a promise that the resurrected Jesus makes to us this morning and then here's the third thing In John 14, 27, he says this, and my peace, my peace I give to you. Not the peace that the world gives. Not that peace that is sort of the absence of war. But it's my peace that I give you. It's a different piece. It's a piece that the world can't give you, but the world can't take away. It's in the the first century, they saw this piece as a wholeness, as a completeness, that Jesus is saying that, that because of the resurrection, I'm gonna make you a whole person. I'm gonna make you a complete person. I'm gonna give you a wholeness that you could never get on your own. And so he promises those three things to us. He gives us hope that he prepares a place that we will be with him for eternity, that life doesn't end here, that he is sending his spirit to be our comforter, our strength, our help, and that he sends us his peace. Not the peace that the world gives us, but the peace that comes from the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we believe those things, we receive those things, because the resurrection is true. On the truth of the resurrection, all of those things are real in our lives. And they're available to us this morning. You know, I was (coughs) thinking about the postcards this week and I was reminded of another sort of interesting thing in our culture. A guy named Frank Warren a few years ago um, started this thing called Post Secret and he went to Washington, D.C. and he, started, he made these postcards and he started handing out postcards to complete strangers. And he said to them, you know, um, I want you to write this postcard, send it to me, and all I ask is that you do some sort of artistic representation of a secret in your life. And the only thing I ask is they have to be true. And so thousands of people started writing down their secrets and sending them to Frank Warren. Today he has over half a million postcards with people's secrets, things that they've never told anybody else in their lives. I have a couple of, I think, um, here's one. I'm so OCD that I rewrite my grocery list so that they're, they look nicer. What if someone saw it and I have to look at it? Here's another one. I hate that he spends so much time on Facebook. Facebook feels like the other woman. That's her secret. Here's another one. Sometimes I flash my headlights to warn, warn over the drivers of absolutely nothing. It's just my little rebellion. <laughs> oh man. I, I recorded a, a couple of others. Um, for us. One, one was, uh, when my friends go on diets, I discourage them. This is because I really just want them to be fatter than me. <laughs> Another post-secret was, sometimes I wish that I was blind, so I just wouldn't have to look at myself every day in the mirror. I'm jealous of her baby. I started shooting heroin again. People think I've stopped lying, but I've just gotten better at it. I go to fraternity parties and wait for everyone to get drunk and steal all their stuff. I waste office supplies because I hate my boss. And people writing their secrets down. Um, Things about their life and, uh, you know, isn't it interesting if you were to, we're not gonna do that with our postcards today, but if you were to (laughs) do that, yeah, do that and sign it, I'd love to see Uh, (coughs) it. But if you were to do that, what would your secrets be? And here's the, here, here's the crazy part of this, is that there, there's nothing in your heart and your mind, there's nothing that you've done or that you've ever thought that Jesus doesn't already know about. And still Jesus went to the cross for you. Still Jesus died for you. And still the resurrection is true for you, no matter what it is. In the beginning, we talked about Nero. He persecuted, tortured, and executed Christians. And what's more remarkable than his re- cruelty, as I mentioned, was the grace that, and peace exhibited by Christians. They were full of hope and comfort and peace, all the promises that we've just talked about because of the resurrected Jesus. And all of the promises of Jesus, the place, the helper, the peace, all of those are available to you this morning And maybe maybe you've gone to church for years and you just sort of forgotten that. Life has kind of slammed you and you've kind of forgotten that the resurrection is true and because it's true, that those promises that Jesus made to us are also true. And we just need to be reminded of that today. How much God loves us what it took for Jesus to come and to give himself for us and then to rise again and now we have the hope of his promises. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of how true all of that is and how important that is to us but maybe also you're here this morning and you've never really given that much thought and, and you've never taken that time to to ask the Lord, Lord, I, you know my secrets and and you know who I am and yet you still love me and the re- I want the resurrection in my life and if you haven't ever taken that step, if you haven't done that, this would be a wonderful, perfect, best day ever to do that. So we've got a couple more things that we're gonna do this morning, but... I want to just take a second and I would like us to bow our heads and, and to simply pray together and if, you, if you've been in church a long time and you, you just, just simply forgot the truth of the resurrection and what God promises you and what's available to you that you might just take a minute and ask the Lord to fix your heart and your eyes on him again, remind you of who he is. But if you've never taken that opportunity to invite God's spirit into your life, then I'm simply gonna pray, and then you can pray after me, and you can invite Jesus into your life. So let's bow our heads, and if you've never asked the Lord into your life, this would be a time, just follow me. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for how much you love me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. And Lord, Thank you that you rose again, and what you said is true. Your promises are true, and you always keep your promises. And and Lord, so today I I want to know for sure that someday I will be where you are, that you have my place ready. I want to receive your comforter, I want to receive your spirit into my heart and my life, and I want to experience your peace. The wholeness that you give. So, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. All I would ask this morning is if you prayed that prayer that you would tell somebody. Come come introduce yourself to me. Or come talk to talk to one of our pastors, talk to your friends, whomever it is, but make sure that you tell somebody. So let me pray a blessing over you now. Father, I pray this morning a blessing over these friends, that they would know the truth and the hope of the resurrection, that their lives would be changed by that truth, and that they would live in the promises that you make and that you keep for them. Bless them as they go. Keep them this day. In Jesus' name, amen.